power is hidden. Pestilence marches before him. Plague follows close behind. When he stops, the earth shakes. When he looks, the nations tremble. He shatters the everlasting mountains and levels the eternal hills. He is the eternal one. I see the people of Cushan in distress and the nation of Midian trembling in terror. Was it in anger, Lord, that you struck the rivers and parted the sea? Were you displeased with them? No, you were sending your chariots of salvation. You brandished your bow and your quiver of arrows. You split open the earth with flowing rivers. The mountains watched and trembled. Onward swept the raging waters. The mighty deep cried out, lifting its hand, its hands in submission. The sun and moon stood still in the sky as your brilliant arrows flew and your glittering spear flashed. You marched across the land in anger and trampled the nations in your fury. You went out to rescue your chosen people, to save your anointed ones. You crushed the heads of the wicked and stripped their bones from head to toe. With his own weapons, you destroyed the chief of those who rushed out like a whirlwind, thinking Israel would be easy prey. You trampled the sea with your horses and the mighty waters piled high. I trembled inside when I heard this. My lips quivered with fear. My legs gave way beneath me and I shook in terror. I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invade us. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. This St Andrew's is God's word. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for your word and we ask that now that you would prepare our hearts for what you want to say. Lord, we recognise that around the world there will be thousands of sermons taking place. But Lord, for anything to truly good happen, it has to be your spirit and your word coming together. Not idiosyncrasies or giftings of any particular communicator. And so Lord, we humble ourselves under the authority of your word. We desire that wherever we are and whatever space we're in this morning, that you would speak to us through your word, by your spirit. And Lord, we ask that if there are barriers in our hearts, obstacles, apathy, 
complacency, hostility, resentment, anything that would hinder what you want to do in our hearts. We humble ourselves and ask that you would remove it. Give us an expectancy this morning, a desire to really press in for what you want to do, knowing that perhaps, Lord, as the cycle of nations turns, things, events may transpire this century in New Zealand as well, and that this message of Habakkuk would be relevant to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you are visiting this morning, what we normally do here, not all the time, but um, um, often we just pick a book of the Bible, uh, doesn't really matter which one, and we just work our way through passage by passage. And this morning is a huge chunk. Uh, it is a poem and a prayer, but we also know the song is actually a song, because we know that, because if you have your lovely Pews uh, Bibles, at the end of chapter 3 it says this is to be given with stringed instruments. Uh, and so um, it was, I imagine it was given actually to the temple. So it's, it's Habakkuk's prayer, it's Habakkuk's uh, uh, poem, but it's also his, his song. So there's a person, a missionary, which you probably never heard of. He's pretty obscure, and he had a, a horrendously failed ministry as a missionary. His name was Alan Gardner. Uh, he uh, had started his life um, in the Royal Navy, and, and Britain's Navy in the 19th century was uh, truly ruled the waves. He had a highly successful career. And then one day the Lord was prompting him. And even in the 19th century, uh, if you were grabbing yourself a Bible and reading it, you could be um, in for a bit of uh, a flack from your mates. So he secretly went and got himself a Bible and started reading it as the promptings of the Spirit was on his life. He gave his life to the Lord. And after that, he decided to abandon his uh, a successful career as a naval officer. And he decided to, uh, uh, to become a missionary. And uh, his story is one that's pretty much, there are, there are a couple of uh, exceptions, but pretty much of uh, unrelenting failure. He goes to South Africa. Um, it, it does actually befriend the king of the Zulus, but then there's a violence between the Dutch settlers and the king of the Zulus, and his mission is, is stopped uh, there. He uh, goes off to uh, tries with the Indonesia uh, to reach the tribal peoples and loves them, but the, the Dutch uh, extreme racism at that time and said that the Indonesian tribal peoples of inland Indonesia, they said they're, they're worse than animals and that you, you know, we don't want anyone reaching them. And so he was evicted from that country uh, with a desire to love them. And he ended up in all these places. He ended up in South, South America place after place. And the committee that was sending him had just about pretty much run out of hope, but he decided to keep going. So they arrived with a number of colleagues on this islands, but all their food supplies were stolen, everything was thing, and they were uh, uh, eventually rescued. But he wanted to go back, and so with, uh, he wanted to raise some money, get some ships and do that. So with seven colleagues, or six other colleagues, he uh, went on this journey back to those islands. And when he reached the islands with the seven, they were dropped off. Uh, again, their supplies were stolen, and one by one, all seven of them died of starvation. And uh, when uh, the relief expedition arrived, uh, they found the diaries, the private diaries of all seven men. Now, what would, your, what would that be like? I have to say, um, um, when, I'm, when I go, who's, who's been hangry? When, I, when you're hungry, who's been hangry? Uh, I am really hangry. I'm really, and so um, and at times when I've been lack of food or, or, or my glucose levels, I can be snappy. 
well, or whatever. Catherine can testify to this. But I have, with the stories of those seven missionaries, there was a no, at least as what was recorded in their private diaries of what was going on, there was no fighting. There was a sense of, of, of handing themselves to the providence of God. And one by one, as I'm noting the other ones that had died, and the last one uh, that was still writing was Ellen Gardner, who had seen his six companions die of starvation. And he, he died on, we believe, he was trying to go back to the boat to get some fresh water. And his last little note in his journal of this forgotten missionary that no one's ever really heard of is the statement that which, which he said he was overwhelmed with the goodness of God. So when I first came across that, I thought, crazy missionary. Who would believe? I wouldn't be thinking of the goodness of God if I was in such a situation. And I just thought, crazy guy, when I first wanted to read these stories. But... As I've thought of different times over, over people's life, I could think of uh, the, the Catholic priest, Maximilian Kolbe, uh, who was uh, rescuing Jewish people during World War II, was sent to Auschwitz when it was found out. And uh, when uh, the SS guards had arranged uh, some people to be um, uh, starved to death, and Francis uh, Gajonistic said, Oh, my wife and children! Francis Colby, uh, sorry, Maximilian Kolbe said, I'll take his place in the starvation bunker. And history records both from the guards and others in the camp that in the starvation bunker it was like a church, uh, quote, end quote, the power and goodness of God. So here's a question. Do you know the goodness of God through what he does for you or because you've experienced it in your life regardless of what's going around your life? All right. Are you with me? Are the differences here? Do you, have you experienced the goodness? Do you normally experience the goodness of God through inference? He's blessed my ministry. He's blessed my family. He's blessed me with a new car. I'm blessed, hashtag, on social media with, you, with a picture of a new car or something. Is that, is that how you experience the blessings of God? Or do you experience the blessings of God regardless of situations? Uh, for example, right now, as we're sitting here, there is they're believed to be about 30,000 Christians sitting right now in a concentration camp in North Korea. 30,000, including children. Is it only the Western Christians who experience the goodness of God? Or is is God still good to the Christians in North Korea? How do you experience the goodness of God? And that's what we're going to see with the prophet Habakkuk, what the journey that he has been on and what God had done in his light in the face of an absolute disaster, steamrolling disaster that was perhaps going to be the second worst event after the Holocaust of what happened to the Jewish people. So we are, as I said, finishing a series on on the prophet. And the prophet, I know it was in the video, but just a quick recap. The prophet, like all the other prophets, if you've read all the minor prophets, there are a bit of a a, a woe woe is me and woe is our nation. Things are in decline. Politicians suck. You know, it's it's sort of going to be like a social media post. The corruption, social generosity, moral decline of our society. And that's the vibe of the prophets. And, and, And the prophet Habakkuk has that. But what he has in the midst of it is he's actually, it's not written to the people to repent. It's actually his own anguish. So what, what the prophet was doing, he's writing his, in his, almost in his own diary of, this, of what was going on, what he saw, and what he was pouring out to God. And so he poured out to God the moral decline of Judah about people who were once following God but had abandoned it, about the decline of moral values, about the rich getting rich, the poor getting poorer. And as he poured it out, he said, God, what are you doing? And then in the chapter 2, uh, as the Bible Project said, if you've been in the series, you'll know this, God gave his reply and said, yes, I'm aware of this, and I've got an answer. It's the empire of Babylon. They're coming to wipe Judah out as well as a number of other nations around 
And then the prophet goes, then has a reply to that. He goes, what? I love in the, in the Bible project, what? That's exactly like, what are you doing, God? I thought you were a good God, a nice God, a kind God. Why would you, would you, a holy and just and pure God, enable Babylon with its cruel violence to be used as a tool to bring your providential will in relation to Judah? And he says, I'll stand on the mountaintops. I'm going to wait my reply because whatever you say is not going to be good enough. And I'm going to get a right reply because there's no justifiable reason for what you are doing. And then God's reply comes in and it's, it's, it doesn't directly answer Habakkuk's a, a, a complaint, but what he says is the righteous will live by faith, trusting in God's sovereignty uh, over uh, the nations. And it was then that the prophet had, a, had an insight into the rise and fall of nations that in time Babylon too would be judged and that the cycle of nations would turn on Babylon. But in the meantime, despite God working out his purpose, the prophet was going to have to live in a time where there'd be no grapes on the vines, the olive crops would fail, the fields would lie empty and barren, the flocks would die in the fields, and the cattle barns would be empty. And so the prophet was going to be in a situation similar to Alan Gardner. Are you with me? He's going to see his mates starve to death around him. He was going to see starvation. We know this from both the archaeological records of the sacking of Jerusalem and also from uh, uh, notes uh, dug up, as well as multiple biblical accounts. There was starvation, war, and defeat. He was going to live through that and see that, and then the survivors going into exile. And so Habakkuk was living from a human perspective at the wrong time. If he was looking for the goodness of God and wealth, health, and success, he would not find it. So this was going to be his uh, 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 journey. And so in the midst of it, he writes this song, and this is what he says. We're only going to go through it really quickly, guys, so don't feel like it's going to be a, a, a half hour, uh, 40 minutes. We're just going through, but there's some highlights here. And at the end, uh, I want you to stay with me. When teaching, people can sometimes tune out. I know that we've got the you attention know, spans with TikTok are reducing, but to hang with me, this is the word of God, and it's, and it's worth actually focusing and fighting for concentration. So let's have a look at some of, of, of Habakkuk's song of what he was happening in his life. I've heard about you, Lord. I am filled with awe of your amazing works in this time of our deep need. Help us again as you did in years gone and by. In your anger, remember your mercy. And so as he realized at the end of all this revelation of what was going on, he was like, I realize, okay, we're going, we're, we're, you know, it's, it's, it's like um, back in the day before the, the law changed. Um, I got spanked and strapped by my dad. Anyone remember the days when that used to happen in our society? Well, I, I, I do. I've got vivid memories of this. And I remember mum would occasionally say, you just wait till your dad gets home. And I'll be like, oh, I'm in for it now. I've crossed the line. And so, but often you know, my thing is, oh, my dad in his anger, remember mercy. As he was getting over the strap, you know, that was back in the day. Uh, and so this was here, was the same with the prophet. Was in your anger, remember your mercy. Lord, we, I know judgment's coming, but uh, Lord, I know about you. I'm filled with all your amazing works. This time of our deep need, help us again, as in years passed by. In your anger. Then he goes on, and it's a, what he does is he has this whole Exodus metaphor, all right? Now, stay with me. There's a, there's a reason why he does this. So I'm going to go and... Um, Oh, there we go. 
Was it an anger, Lord? I've just got a couple of excerpts of the Exodus metaphor. I'm not going to read the whole uh, uh, it out. Was it an anger, Lord, you struck the rivers and parted the sea? Were you displeased with them? No, you were sending your chariots of salvation. With his own weapons, you destroyed the chief of those who rushed out like a whirlwind, thinking Israel would be easy prey. You trampled the sea with your horses, and the mighty waters piled high. So in the midst of the song, this prayer, this poem that he was writing, he went back, right? So he realizes he's going to be in this dire situation. Disaster is coming. And so what does he do to deal with this disaster that he's about to face? He remembers back to the deliverance that God has done in the past. If you are going through a difficult time in your life, if disaster strikes and you want to hold on to your faith, remember back to God's previous acts of faithfulness. And so he was remembering to the previous cycle of nations about how God was at work. And so this is we see uh, in the cycle of nations. If you're visiting this morning, uh, I'll just run through this very briefly. And for those who have been here regularly, this is the last time you've seen this because we're finishing the prophet today. Uh, so you have to see hopefully this, this cycle. But in the 1700s, there was a scholar who wrote about the life cycle of nations. No model is perfect, but some are useful. And this model works very well for the cycle of nations for Israel. And so Israel was in bondage in Egypt at 6 o'clock there. And they were there for several centuries. And then Moses came uh, uh, and said, let my people go. And eventually they were delivered with a mighty faith. But that generation uh, uh, died in the wilderness for two reasons. Lack of faith and lack of courage. Remember that whole spies? If you know your Bible, you know this off by heart. And so they died in the wilderness. Then a new generation, Joshua's generation, emerged, which had faith in God and courage. And they, they entered the land, a land flowing with milk and... Well, you know. And then, of course, another generation emerged after that, complacency, apathy, other gods. And if you know the story of judges and all the other ones, around and around and around they went on that clock, sometimes within a lifetime or two. And I've said before, individuals can be like this. And so here was Habakkuk, who's at 5.59 on the clock. Six o'clock, the Babylonians are attacking. And as the Babylonians invade, and he's being prepared for the starvation and this horrendous events, what does he do in the song that he's giving people to sing? He's getting them to remember back to the previous time they were in bondage in Egypt and how God had come to rescue them. And he's saying, Lord, I remember... We were a pretty stubborn, hard-hearted bunch there in Egypt. We didn't have faith in you, but you came and delivered us with a mighty hand out of Egypt. Lord, do it again. And so that was a remembering of remembering. And then he goes on, and this is the, the next thing. As he was reflecting on all of it, I trembled inside when I heard this. My lips quivered with fear. My legs gave way beneath me, and I shook in terror. And this was a sense of him realizing what was going to come his way in terms of the judgment of, on, on Judah. There was absolute terror. And then there was also said, I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people, the Babylonians, who invade us. So he was actually saying, well, Lord, I know that the cycle of nations will turn on Babylon as well. And then he finishes with this, even though the fig trees have no blossoms, and there are no grapes in the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. So Habakkuk was experiencing a joy and a peace that was not coming through the external circumstances. 
He had, during this journey, encountered the very power of God. And this power of God, this goodness of God, this joy of God, this peace of God was bigger and much more powerful than all of the external circumstances. So here's a question. Have you encountered this God? Have you encountered this God? Do you know this God? Or is it the God only good when things are going well for you? Habakkuk had been on a journey. Have you gone on a journey? Do you know this Lord? Have you experienced the joy and the peace and the goodness of God like Alan Gardner, Maximilian Colby, like the prophet Habakkuk on the, on the, just on the verge of six o'clock when the Babylonians would turn up? So before I finish the series, I just want to note, I noticed, um, for those who are here regularly, a couple of years ago, we normally just go through books of the Bible, but I did do a series of sermons called, for those who are regular, does anyone remember that I did the sermon series, The Bait of Satan? Does anyone remember that? All right, there's a few. And that whole series was done by John Bevere, which is really the book, is a whole bunch of um, characters in the Bible dealing with offense, dealing with bitterness and hurt and resentment, the whole book. And I had covered, spent this whole time marinating the church and how to be offense resistant. So I was thinking, this is great. And once we finished this whole series on how people had dealt with offense and bitterness and anger and hurts in the church, I was like, yes, we are now ready for anything that will come our way. That's what, that was my thought. We've done. We are, we are ready. You know, when offenses come in the world, St. Andrews, because we, if people are engaged with this, they will know offenses will come from me, my failures, uh, the church leadership, and everyone else. And then we happened to have COVID. Did anyone remember COVID? I'm sure you do. <laughs> And then remember in, this, remember in this nation, if you're visiting, we had churches had two pathways. We could say to people, only those willing to turn up with a vaccination passport can turn up to church, uh, or you can separate them into smaller groups and smaller groups and larger groups with two parts. And as I'd seen pastors, really good and faithful churches, both went both ways. I'm not saying which way is right or which way is wrong. I'm not getting into that. But I had good friends. Some of them decided at the last minute we've got to have this passport gig happening. And, they, and so they, only those who had passports could attend church services. And, they, and so I was talking to them. They had large numbers of people highly offended have walked out of the Christian faith in church. And then we had our church. We decided we're all going to be all in and suffer together. How did we go on the unity front? How did we go on dealing with the hurts? Were we good? Were we sweet about different choices people made to get the jab or not get the jab? We dealt with the whole sermon series. And so as I thought about that, and as I remember as a minister dealing with the hurts and offense and anger that so many felt, I wonder how many hurts are still here today. I do wonder that. I wonder if you've moved on or whether you're still hurting. And then as I thought, Lord, we had that sermon series, and it was like you had given the church that preparation for what was coming. Now, I have no idea what's coming on, on 2023, but I did see on my Facebook feed, it was this picture of this person looking like this. Well, before I agree to 2023, I want to have a look at the terms and conditions and what's about to happen this year. <laughs> I was like, yes, that is me. I want to have a look at the terms and conditions. What is taking place this year? Because I'm worried, right? I don't know, it could be a great year, but you know, who knows, right? And so may I suggest this? We've just, I'm not suggesting. I don't know what the Lord's got in store for New Zealand or this church or you individually. But we've just done a whole sermon series on the, on the cycle of nations on God's judgment of nations, that God is sovereign over nations. And each of you need to discern where New Zealand is at in the cycle of nations. You need to, I'm, not, I'm not God, so I'm not going to tell you where I, what I think, because what I think doesn't matter, actually, what God thinks that matters. And I'm not a prophet. But just say, if something bad happened in the next two or three years, is this stuff just been head knowledge? Or are you really ready? 
was that was the offense sermon series on the bait of Satan week after week, was that just head knowledge? Or could you truly love those who choose to get the jab or not the jab or whatever, whatever decision they made about the government's you know, decisions? And if you're visiting, we had you know, like a riot and there were things taking place in Wellington. It was an interesting time for New Ze- to be in New Zealand. Uh, and so um, and in the midst of all of that, the Lord is at work. Is he at work in your life? Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you are almighty, all-powerful. We look to you alone. And come what may this year, we pray that, Lord, that we would look to your goodness and your mercy, not from external blessings as much as we desire them, but, Lord, may we experience the goodness that comes straight from your throne room into our heart, no matter what is happening in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.